hello, hello. Welcome back to Loki's Librarian. If you are new here, welcome. I am your librarian, Katrina, and this is where I am reading through the enormous library books that you see behind me, sort of, because my camera has shifted. Yeah, see, I'm too far off angle for that, so we're going to have to just go out like that. So anyways, new camera. So far, it's not glitching on me, so I'm happy about that, but it doesn't get quite the angles that my other one did, so we'll just have to deal with it. Anyways... If you, uh, I give you a quick synopsis after I read them and then I let you know what I think about them. So if you like books and aren't sure what to read next, hit that subscribe button, like and share my videos and let me know what you think in the comments. Continuing our reading for the spooky season, this week's book of the week is The World of Lore, Wicked Mortals by Aaron Mankey. This is the third uh, World of Lore ins installment and I think it's the last one. He only has three. Read one the year before, one the year before that. I'm going to have to find something else next year, which I think I already have. Anyways, Wicked Mortals are usually dubbed this due to their actions. So this week's cocktail is called Wicked Behavior. It is one and a half ounces of bourbon, three quarter ounces of pineapple juice, a quarter ounce of elderflower liqueur, a quarter ounce Aperol, a quarter ounce lemon juice, and a quarter ounce of honey. And uh, to my absolute shock, I actually had all of this in my cabinet already. I'm not sure why I'm surprised by that. I probably shouldn't be. So let's do this. I'm going to start with the honey, mostly because it's so thick. I want to be able to uh, get, get all of it into the cocktail, which means I'm going to have to basically use everything else to rinse the honey out of the glass. I did get some nifty new shot glasses that have all the measurements, like down to like five milliliters. So this is kind of an amazing find. Oh yeah, love it. Like his other world of lore books, Mankey breaks the book down into sections that cover specific categories. So first up is He Walks in Shadows, and he starts with a bang, which is America's first notorious serial killer, H.H. Holmes, who was born Herman Mudgett before growing up to become a con man and notorious murderer, who haunted the Chicago's World Fair in 1893, building what he dubbed the castle, which was basically a murder hotel with lots of rooms and, yeah, honey takes forever to drain out. I might have picked a simpler cocktail for a, such a fairly short book report. But anyways. Yeah, the Chicago's World Fair 1893 is the same one that Little Egypt became famous for, although she was nowhere in this story, thank God, because I can't imagine she would have survived being, you know, an immigrant and all of that. So Mudgett, while initially horrified by the medical field, he, he didn't like dead bodies. Basically, his classmates forced him into touching a human skeleton, and this sparked a morbid fascination in Mudgett, who basically jumped into performing surgery on animals read that as Serial Killer 101, he began torturing animals. But this was 100 years before the invention of the FBI's Behavioral Analysis Unit, so that went uncommented on. And he was just a curious boy. And Budget grew up to become a serial killer. Of such notorious fame, he made it to pop cultural phenomena such as Supernatural, as did several other points from this book, incidentally. Lots of fun. Or this book series, remember last year, the Waverly Asylum? That was on Supernatural quarter ounce. Oh, this is making a mess. That's lots of fun. Well, what can I say? Serial killers make for excellent TV fodder. They, they really do. They are <coughs> lots of fun for, for TV. Mostly because Hollywood is boring and has no mind of their own, and so they just rip off, you know, everything else. Can't think of anything original. Everything's been done before. Super, super fun times. This is supposed to be elderflower liqueur. I have elderflower syrup, not liqueur, and I overdid the liqueur, the syrup, whatever. Mankey covers the idea of changelings, which 
could theoretically have fallen under his book on uh, monstrous creatures, except that the true horror of the changeling legend is how people react when confronted with what they believe to be a changeling. Now, changeling, anybody who's ever watched Outlander or read Diana Gabaldon's series Outlander uh, knows what a changeling is, right? Um, a, a changeling is somebody who came through the Standing Stones, obviously. Well, the, the actual legend is a changeling is somebody who was body swapped with a fairy, essentially. So the, the fairy doesn't actually do well here. It's, it's a cruel prank by the fae. The human is believed to still be living somewhere under the fairy mounds with the fairies, while the fae changeling left here is left to wreak havoc and then die horribly. Let's shake this out. This is supposed to go into a coupe glass. My coupe glasses are still packed, so blue solo cup it is. Not very fancy, but effective. It's a cup. The folklore behind Changeling is actually quite widespread. It's not just limited to the British Isles. Uh, basically, anybody who suddenly begins acting out of usual is believed to be a Changeling. And humanity in general has a long history of not treating others well. Others, not just meaning other people, but like people who are believed to be other, they are not treated well. Uh, including Mankey's own offering of Bridget Cleary, who was dosed in, doused in oil and burned alive by her husband, Michael, who believed the fairy had snatched his own bride away. He was trying to force the fae to return her. So you burn up the fairy. The fairy, theoretically, to avoid the pain, will return to the other world, swapping back the, the missing person here. Didn't work for some reason. And so poor Bridget Cleary was burned alive by her own husband. That's not too bad for, for a cocktail that has a little bit of everything in it. That's not too bad. He tells of tales of axe murderers, one of whom was actually part of American Horror Story Season 3, Coven, um, you know, the, the, the jazz murderer who said he would spare anybody who played jazz on a certain night. That was discussed. Body snatchers, not those aliens made famous by Hollywood, but body snatchers who used to provide medical schools with bodies upon which to practice autopsies, uh, which was actually not easy back in the day. I mean, you would think you just dig up a body, but that was criminal in 18th century England, or United Kingdom. And uh, the only ones who could legally be used for autopsy were convicted criminals who had been hung by the crown. So the very enterprising William Hare and William Burke started getting ahead of demand by providing very fresh bodies to the medical schools. Now the medical schools knew the law, also didn't care. All right, they needed the bodies. To become a doctor, you were required to autopsy three bodies. Not a lot of people were volunteering for this. And so the body snatchers used to dig up the bodies, and they actually, that's how the, part of how the graveyard shift came about. I mean, you hear about the, you know, putting the bell on the wrist in case they buried him alive, and okay, that was part of graveyard shift. The other part of graveyard shift was making sure that uh, your loved one stayed buried for long enough to no longer be of interest to the body snatchers. So that's really grim, but there it is. But the uh, Hare and Burke started killing people, uh, ultimately, they killed 17 before being caught in the game. William Hare managed to escape the hangman by turning state's evidence against Burke. Burke was executed and ultimately autopsied by the same medical school to which he had been providing bodies. So there's a little bit of round-robin justice in there. He covers women killers and death becomes her, including the infamous Elizabeth Bowtery. Not Bathory. He spells it out very carefully. He did his research. It's Bowtery. Kate Webster, who would rent out a room, sell all the furniture in the room before moving on. This ultimately culminated in Webster killing one of the landlords and attempting to steal her identity. 
which you would think would be easier pre-internet, but attempting to do it in a confined neighborhood where everyone knows everyone else uh, proved to be her undoing. Uh, Belganis, who was quite an infamous black widow back in her day, uh, late 19th, early 20th century, and then one of the first angel of death killers, Nora Kelly, who was renamed Jane during her indentured servitude and killed quite profligately with morphine before landing in the insane asylum for the rest of her life. Um, Years after she died, one of the nurses who had cared for her there in Taunton told a story about one experience she'd had. Uh, This is a quote. Sometimes, she said, Jane would wave her over to her chair with a twinkle in her eye, and then she would point toward the door. Get the morphine, dearie, and we'll go out into the ward. And then with a wide grin, she would add, you and I will have a lot of fun seeing them die. I love those morbid-ass bitches. Crazy, crazy, crazy. You know, I'm spouting out these terms like I'm assuming everybody knows. A black widow killer is somebody who marries somebody and then kills them for their money, usually fairly quickly. Probably, if you wanted a pop cultural reference, you could look at um, Adam's Family Values. Um, Joan Cusack's character in that was a Black Widow character. Angel of Death are are um, mercy mercy killers. They're typically in the medical professions, and they kill people usually to get the accolades for you know being such a caring person and for taking care of them in their final days. Blah blah blah. Now, as one might expect, the section called Toil and Trouble covered famous or rather infamous witches, or more appropriately, the witch finders, as the poor women burned and hung were rarely, or more likely never, actually witches. I do find it appropriate that the witch finders were the wicked mortals in this section, rather than the wicked witches they purported to find and hang or burn. A little peculiar goes into some interesting frauds and cautionary tales, including a very old and familiar tale, The Pied Piper of Hamlet, and the importance of paying your bills on time. Okay, okay, that wasn't the lesson of The Pied Piper of Hamlet, we all know it. Um, As Mankey says, quote, There are, of course, a number of morals to the story, but the one that has stuck with us for centuries remains ever true. Never trust a stranger. End quote. But, and this is an interesting addendum to the story of The Pied Piper, It turns out that the problem, historically speaking, may not have been strangers at all. In fact, that actually is even more true. If you think about it, the FBI will tell you that you are more likely to suffer harm at the hands of somebody you know than at the hands of a stranger. What happened is in the 13th century, following the battle between Denmark and the Holy Roman Empire, a huge section of what would become Germany opened up for settlement. And so men called locators would go out and try and find people willing to relocate and settle in this country. And they were essentially salesmen. Uh, and they typically wore pied garments, meaning multicolored. They were meant to be flashy and big. Salesmen, right? You're trying to draw a crowd in and make everything sound amazing. Let's all go over to Germany and settle Germany now. Specifically, they were looking for farmers, craftsmen, and soldiers. But the people didn't want to leave the homes they knew to fight off literal wolves in a forest while settling new territories. So uh, to, uh, the offer to settle the territories came with financial incentives, and so the people in the existing towns would sell their children to the locators. Got rid of a surplus population, the extra mouths to feed, but to make their remaining children not be freaked out that mommy and daddy just sold their siblings, it became a folk tale about the Pied Piper. Isn't that horrifying? <laughs> a little peculiar also goes into the tale, the odd tale of the Toffs. There's a typo in here, i got to fix that. Specifically, Mary Toft, who pretended to give birth to rabbits, like a lot of rabbits. I mean, she just 
she said she was pregnant one day and the tale goes that she was, you know, in the field working the crops when she and her friends saw a rabbit, they decided to try and catch it for the stew. And, uh, instead she ended up giving birth to rabbits. She didn't give birth to rabbits. It was obviously a fraud. Um, it was proven a fraud by the physician of King George. Toft was induced to confess to the fraud by the prominent London physician, Sir Richard Manningham, who advised her that if she didn't confess, he would, quote, perform very painful operations and experiments on you to discover your secrets, end quote. And that, uh, shockingly enough, got her to confess that, yes, this is all a fraud, and here's how we did it. Following her confession, she was briefly imprisoned before being released because they didn't know what to charge her with. I mean, she didn't actually get any sort of financial anything from this. She got infamy, but... You know, and it was a hoax. So they're like, I don't know what to charge her with. Just go home. Which she did. Promptly got pregnant. Like, for reals pregnant. And gave birth to a baby girl. Odd people. Everybody wants fame, right? Everybody wants fame. If you can't get it by doing something normal, you do it by giving birth to rabbits. That's the way to be remembered. William Brody was discussed. He was the real life inspiration between Robert Louis Stevenson's The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. So his tale was told, along with the early history of spiritualism, including the Fox sisters and John Murray Spear, who created a mechanical Jesus in the 19th century. Hadn't heard that one before, but that was interesting. And this book rounds out with a bit of a hodgepodge called Magic Tricks, which just kind of didn't fit anywhere else, including like spontaneous human combustion, uh, demonic possessions, or rather tales of demonic possessions, as in at least one of the cases, centuries after the fact, Fraud was discovered there as well, shockingly. I shouldn't say that. All right? I, I read The Demonologist last year, and, you know, this is the, people's beliefs, you know. You, you, you shouldn't mock people's, well, I should be careful with how I word that, because clearly I mock lots of beliefs. Yeah. <clears throat> I'm pretty sure I've mocked quite a few beliefs on this channel. Legend of the Doppelganger, which is not just a body double. I mean, everybody always says, oh, I saw your doppelganger the other day, which just means somebody who looks exactly like you. Well, the, the legend of the doppelganger is not just somebody who looks like you, but literally a second version of you. And if you see your own doppelganger, this is a powerful death omen, which has been seen most famously, perhaps, by Abraham Lincoln, who saw his doppelganger in a dream, not just dreaming about himself like he saw himself and then saw his double in a dream. And when he woke up, his wife, who was a spiritualist, said, this is, you're going to die sooner rather than later. And within four years, he was assassinated. He covers the Hexenmeisters of Pennsylvania Dutch, which is just a bastardization of the word Deutsch or German, because the settlers of Pennsylvania were decidedly German, not Dutch at all. Uh, and he covers in detail John Dee, magician and most learned man and most trusted advisor, Queen Elizabeth I. And incidentally, the inspiration behind the most famous spy of all. Bond. I had forgotten about John Dee. I actually knew about him because I've read books on Elizabeth I, spent a couple of years as part of the Renaissance Fair circuit, and so I did a lot of research on Elizabethan England. I knew about John Dee, I just forgot about him because, well, I read a lot, so sometimes the details slip. But I promptly added several biographies of him to my wish list. I'm going to kind of go through them, figure out which one I want to add, like actually buy. I don't need to read more than one, I don't think. And, uh, but I'll, I'll read one of those probably next October because he was a mystic and he was a man of science, but he was also a mystic. 
So like Mankey's other works, this was a fun trip through history and folk tales. It was well-researched and well-documented and highly reminiscent of scary stories to tell in the dark. I enjoyed all three of his works, including Wicked Mortals. And if you're looking for some spooky stories going into Halloween, I highly recommend this week's book. And that's it for this week. I will uh, see you guys next Sunday.